Now, last Lord's Day, <clears throat> again, we started a new Sunday school series on the topic of the attributes of God. We'll be using Samuel Renahan's book, Deity and Decree, as a guide to our thinking through the attributes of God. But we'll do that specifically by looking at the doctrine of God as articulated in the first paragraphs of chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the 1689. So I mentioned last week, if you have a 1689, if you have the Confession of Faith, start bringing it to class. It would be helpful for you. Did, did someone have, did you guys bring it? All right, the, uh, <laughs> Brian and Crystal. Like. <laughs> so we have some of these in the, the office too at the church. So um, they're available, but if you don't have one, pick one up. Um, you, it, it's also online, so if you want to follow today, you can go to founders.org and follow. But um, that's going to be helpful as we work through the class because we'll be referring back to the confession and reading some parts of it as we look at scripture and other things. And then the handout will have, uh, will have basically what I would have had on a PowerPoint. I didn't get time to make the PowerPoint, so I just put it in that handout. So that'll be helpful as we talk through these things as well. So in last week's class, we started by reading those two paragraphs of the 1689, uh, chapter two, paragraph one, and chapter three, paragraph one. And those paragraphs are on God and the Holy Trinity and on God's decree. Then we asked the question, what is God? And we started to look at the scriptures to talk about the divine nature of God. We ended that class by looking at Romans 1 and assuming the existence of God, while at the same time recognizing that men suppress the revelation of God that he has plainly revealed to them. Remember, I used the example of uh, God has communicated. He has revealed himself to us, it says in Romans 1, and he's done it plainly. So that revelation has gotten through. And it's not that men don't receive that revelation. It's that they have received it, but they choose to do something with what they received. They suppress it. So it's like trying to hold a beach ball under the surface of a pool. It's, it's really hard to do. So they, throughout their lives, they don't repent. They're suppressing. They're holding down the revelation of God that has gotten through. So men are not, we're not indifferent by, by nature, but we are, we are opponents. Uh, we naturally suppress what God has revealed of himself to us. Now, before we go forward, I, I want to make a um, couple comments um, about last week. Um, I don't think I ever actually defined the term decree. And we talked about it more, more than once in different sections, but I want to give you some categories to have in mind when you hear that term decree, right? We're, we're studying deity and decree, God and God's decree. Samuel Renahan says in his book that he relied um, a lot on John Norton's The Orthodox Evangelist. He got a lot of his definitions in his own book from that book. And John Norton defined decree as the act of God by which he determines absolutely the existence an infallible future or futurition of all that is outside of himself to the praise of his own glory, the first cause and director of all things, the antecedent and governor of all things. So Samuel Renahan adds and summarizes in this way, the study of the decree of God 
is the study of all that his will causes. The, the study of the decree of God is the, the study of all that his will causes. Everything outside of himself. So let's look at that first section there. God exists of himself. I talked about this a bit last week, but I'm going to pick up there. God exists of himself. God is the only being that exists in and of himself. All other beings find their existence in him. So we might speak of the aseity of God. The aseity of God. Asei. Um, from the Latin of himself. John 5, 26 says, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Paul in Romans eleven thirty six affirms this divine attribute of God for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. We can look at this and recognize that there's a distinction from God and everything else in creation. Sometimes we can talk about God as if he's just like us, but to an infinite degree. Right. But aseity sort of fixes this chasm between our being and the being of our creator. Samuel Renahan says the distinction between the creator and creation founded in God's aseity is not a distinction of quantity. The difference between God and creation is not that God has more being and creatures have less. God exists, I'll say, independent of creation. <clears throat> so God is not just an infinitely better version of a man. Um, in some movies or uh, books, you'll, you'll see the author trying to um, get men to feel, his readers to feel their smallness. So they'll uh, develop a character in the book that's 10 times the size of, of the earth, or they'll develop a character that can look down the corridors of time. And they're trying to stretch the imagination of their reader to try to um, think of something that is big and grand and large so that they feel small. But God is not just someone who's a thousand times better than us. He's not just a thousand times more loving than we are. God is love. He doesn't just show kindness much, much more than we do. God is kindness. He is not just merciful. His very being is mercy, which means there's no end to it. It doesn't start doesn't stop it doesn't run out he is the fountain of life and the very existence of all things find their life in him god is not just greater in quantity or quality or quiddity or whatness but god's aseity declares his independence and self-existence creatures exist only by the creating and sustaining power of god so we, we maintain that distinction between what is created and the creator. <clears throat> the being of God is beyond our comprehension because the nature of God confronts our finite ability to comprehend him. 
And so we're left with this sense of awe and wonder. Samuel Renahan again says, Upon encountering the infinite, our minds should react like those in scripture who saw the celestial beings or a glimpse of God's glory. Each one of them did what? When they would see angels in scripture, they would drop down as though dead. Certain that their destruction was imminent, which is to say we ought to be humble and careful in what we think or say about God. Job 36, 26. You have that on your handout. Let me have someone read that for us. Job 36, 26. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. The number of his years is unsearchable. And he also says we know him not, which is interesting. God is incomprehensible, yet we're talking about him. We're discussing God. God has made himself known. So we'll talk about that in a bit here. And then Job um, eleven seven. Can you find out <laughs> the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? <clears throat> and what's the answer to that? No. <laughs> we cannot find out the deep things of God. We cannot find out the limit of the Almighty because he is without limits. His depth is without bottom. <clears throat> I mentioned this last week as well, but we affirm that God is both incomprehensible and ineffable. In other words, both our thoughts and our words fall short. He is incomprehensible. Um, our thoughts cannot grasp God. He is ineffable. Our words cannot uh, fully describe God. We are not able to comprehend God's aseity, again, God who is say of himself. God's essence is beyond our ability to comprehend because it is that one pure act by which God is God. We, as creatures, uh, as men, we think in successions of time. First, we'll do this, and then that, and then that, right? I'm going to go here, and then go there, and then go there. Our minds think in successions of time. But God, but not so with God. <clears throat> How can we comprehend God who exists in and of himself outside of time? Time itself is a creation, right? God is not just um, time without end, but time itself is a creature created by God. And we think, we live, we move within successions of time. The Swiss reformer um, Heinrich Bullinger writes about God's incomprehensibility in a way that gives us, I think, a sense of awe. And that should be on your handouts as well. Um, let me have someone read that, that paragraph there, starting with concerning God. Nice and loud for us. Concerning God and those things that are of him and in him, neither is the mind of man able to conceive what they be, how great they be, <clears throat> and of what fashion they be. Neither doth the eloquence of man's mouth utter in speech words in any point answerable unto his majesty. For it's the thinking upon and the uttering out of his majesty. All eloquence is mute and dumb, and the whole mind is too little. <laughs> he, he ends that by saying, all eloquence is mute and dumb, and the whole mind is too, too little. He's um, affirming incomprehensibility and 
ineffability, that God is incomprehensible and ineffable. Our thoughts are too short, our words are too short, too, too little. When we consider the great chasm between the infinite creator and uh, the limited finite creatures, it's natural to ask, how can we think or speak about God in a way that's actually true, right? If our thoughts fall short and our language falls short, why are we doing this exercise? Why do we have a class on God, on deity and decree? What's the, what's the point of doing all of this if we fall short in our thoughts and words anyway? The answer to that question is that God himself gives us language that teaches us how to think and speak about God. Where do we find that? In the scriptures. 1 Samuel 15, 29. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have re- regret. I mentioned this last week that uh, the, uh, the scriptures and the church historically has tried to best describe God by saying what he is not. God is not like man. God is not limited. God does not lie. Right. <clears throat> Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will it, and will he not fulfill it? So God gives us language and teaches us how to talk about him. But we also recognize that the language that God himself gives us is a condescension on God's part. It's accommodated revelation. In other words, he's stooping down, so to speak, to communicate himself as if talking, as if talking to children. It's, it's accommodated language. Uh, he's speaking in order to communicate himself to inferior creatures. Again, William Ames uh, says, as he has revealed himself unto us, he is conceived, as it were, by the back parts, not by the face. Exodus thirty-three twenty-three, You shall see my back parts, but my face cannot be seen. And darkly, not clearly, that is, after a human manner and measure. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Through a glass darkly, after a sort. All that to say, the measure of our words and the measure of our thoughts can never fully measure God. Yet God himself gives us language to talk about him and to speak about him. <clears throat> okay, let's, let's go to that next section. God is knowable by reason. Any thoughts before we move to that next section? Comments, questions? Kyle? Right. But then even right. And even from the spirit, it is still revealing these things right. to these finite creatures, right? So there, there's, there's still the sense in which um, we're left with uh, the Lord stooping down, right? Even yeah. the spirit is revealing these things to us. It's right. not like we're brought up to this, you know. Um, 
same level as God kind of thing, right? right. It's like, we, we can't, we're not fit for that. Right. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, just interesting, I kind of think about that Yeah, it is. It is interesting. And even when we get new bodies, glorified bodies that are fit for heaven, um, we'll still be creature and not creator. And so we'll still be finite. We don't become eternal as God is without beginning or end. We get bodies fit for heaven, yet they are fit, created by God for heaven. And so they're still... um, you think about Ephesians um, 1, we are, um, he saves us so that we would glory in the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. So we'll spend eternity um, measuring the immeasurable riches and kindness of God, which is mind-blowing. <laughs> we don't have categories for that in, in our minds now or, or then. But yeah, even, even by the Spirit, it's a, it's a stooping down. Yep. Any other thoughts? Yeah, so um, Ames, Ames is communicating there that um, as God spoke with, with Moses and said, I will pass by, you cannot see my face, but only my, my backsides, uh, my, my back part. Um, he sees that as a uh, stooping of God to say that um, we cannot comprehend the fullness of God's essence, um, but only as God has chosen to reveal himself to us in, in measures. Right, so there's a there's a, a accommodating God is saying, not my fullness because we can't handle the fullness of God, but in in measure of a little, a little, and so the language of Scripture sort of gives us those categories for that that um that our language, our thoughts to have some knowledge, a true knowledge of God, but not an income income not a um, a fullness of the knowledge of God, so parts not in whole. I think it's what he's communicating. <laughs> Any other thoughts, questions? Okay. God is knowable by reason. God is knowable by reason. So we recognize that we can speak of God and language that he gives to us to use. It's language that's precise and it guards us against misrepresentations of his divine being. But God's incomprehensibility and ineffability doesn't leave us silent. So one way that we can attain a true knowledge of God is through revelation that he gives us of himself. So we ended our last class um, by talking about Romans 1 and that God has plainly revealed himself to us, but we suppress what he's revealed. Samuel Renahan helpfully writes, uh, the confession of faith affirm the light of nature, meaning that faculty that God has given man to reason and acquire knowledge through deduction and comparison. The fall of man affects man's capacity to reason, yet Romans teaches that man's problem is not that he is incapable of knowing God by reason, but that he suppresses this knowledge and unrighteousness and exchanges it for a lie. The Confessions of Faith also affirm the use of necessary consequence in theology. These are logical deductions necessarily contained 
in the word of God by virtue of other scriptural declarations. So I'll, I'll explain what that means. Um, he goes on to say, uh, to make the argument that if we deny the validity of reason, we neglect much of the reformed faith and it can lead to biblicism that rejects natural theology. So again, natural theology that faculty that God has given man to reason and biblicism, which I'll define here, a a biblicist reading of the Bible rejects words and theological constructions that are not explicitly found in the scriptures. For example, a biblicistic reading may deny the word Trinity because you can't find that word anywhere in scripture. If you search a Bible, Genesis to Revelation, you won't find the word Trinity. Yet, that word has been used um, throughout church history to articulate a certain doctrine of God. So when we look at different verses in scripture that say that the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, the church has thought through these categories and the word uh, Trinity has come into use to communicate a doctrine of God. It's, it's actually necessary consequence. It's drawing from scripture what scripture says to use language to communicate something about God. <clears throat> the reformed faith in scripture itself assume theological constructions and assume that we will use those constructions to come to conclusions about God and creation. Both the Westminster Confession of Faith and the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith and similar language state the same thing. They say the whole counsel of God concerning everything essential for his own glory and man's salvation, faith and life are explicitly stated or by necessary inference contained in the scriptures. Uh, A really helpful handbook on this is Ryan McGraw's By Good and Necessary Consequence. I think it's maybe 100 pages, a a quick read, but he talks about how the confessions have historically, or the men who drew up the confessions have thought through good and necessary consequence, coming to conclusions about God from data and scripture, although it may not use the precise language, right? So just helpful book, Ryan McGraw's By Good and Necessary Consequence. I have that as a book reference in your handout as well. Yes. Uh, person or group um, I have to think about that um, I think that some in the <clears throat> dispensational um, uh, those who would have a dispensational reading of scripture and there, there are sort of that's a spectrum as well but I think there are some within that, that group that would not see um, something like a covenant of of works which we would confess as a reformed baptist church or a covenant of redemption because that language isn't explicit in in scripture um, but i think we can look at scripture and deduce from passages that when god created adam he created adam in covenant with himself um, and gave adam a, a work to do so um i hate to name drop on that but i think there are some within that that um way of interpreting scripture that would probably hold to that. Kyle? I think too, historically, one of the papers that came up was the 
Yeah. Where they, where they were really adamant. You see that historically in some of the different writings from the guys after the reformers, kind of doing directing with Sidious. Sidious and some of the some of his followers were, but it was the same kind of thing. Like, we're not going to use any term that's not found in the Bible. We're yeah. only going to use Bible phrases um, and, and, and things of that flavor. Yeah, I think Jehovah's Witnesses also um, do the same thing, especially when speaking of um, Christ as God. They will argue and say, well, that that doesn't Jesus is not saying that he is God. And a case can, I think, be made fairly easily from John 10 and 17 that Jesus is saying that he is God, even the Old Testament. But if they can't find a text where Jesus is saying, I'm telling you that the God you believed in in the Old Testament is me in those precise terms, there's a denial of that. And so. I think that's another another group that would have that. And all of these two, Socinians, Jehovah's Witnesses, those some dispensationalists to to degrees, I think. How do you spell that group? <laughs> Socinians. Yeah. S O C I Yeah. I'm not familiar with that. He's not familiar with the so <laughs> it's a older group that held to heretical teachings, um, early church, <laughs> or earlier church. Um, okay, so any any other thoughts there? Okay, let's go to that next section. So, Des, is this saying that? we can know God, even though certain scriptures don't specifically say it, we can reason that God exists because we can just deduce from the scriptures. Is that what this section is saying? Yes. So in fact, um, in Ryan McGraw's book, um, he helpfully walks through Jesus' own use of scripture to deduce conclusions and then how he actually uses those in conversation with the Pharisees to say, you should have known this. Um, and he makes a case not necessarily by saying um, you should be quoting this scripture, but you should be gathering from the data of scripture conclusions and holding to those by conviction. Um, and so, yes, we can know God um, and know things about God that um, and let me be careful how, how I word this. We can know things about God that are true about God by deducing from different scriptures a conclusion. That's not to say that um, we don't need scripture or that our minds in and of themselves apart from scripture is sufficient, but we're actually doing exegesis, looking at scripture, interpreting the text and coming to right conclusions about God that are consistent with other scriptures. So it's boxed in by the word, but we are using our minds and reason as we do that theological interpretation. Norm? Yeah. Surrounding, you 
talk about that a little more that um, the language that God gives us to speak of himself is so that we would know him um, but even that as I've mentioned before is a condescension on, on God's part Yeah, so I think when we, so we'll talk how, I'll talk about how God is knowable by causation as well, and I'll get into some categories here that I think will help answer that. Um, and then after that, if you have the same question, I'll, I'll try and answer differently. But let's, let's, let's walk through causation, your handout, negation, and eminence. All right, so we're thinking about, these are under the category that God is knowable by reason, okay? So the first way by which we know the incomprehensible God is by causation. This method argues that all things have an original cause, an uncaused cause, the first cause. God is the first cause. Now, Thomas Aquinas, building on Aristotle's argument of a first mover, says God is the unmoved mover. And his argument of the unmoved mover, Aquinas builds again off of Aristotle to show that everything that is moved is moved by another. The Apostle Paul affirms the self-existence of God in this way in Romans eleven thirty six. again, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. So knowing that everything in creation, just under that category, is created by God. Um, God is the uncreated one. And so everything finds their existence out of or from God. Everything else is caused. God is uncaused. Okay, that's by causation. Now by negation. The second way by which we know the incomprehensible God is through negation. Negation is the opposite of affirm, the opposite of the, the opposite or absence of something. It is to say that it is to say what God is not like. So negation considers all the imperfections and the being of creatures and denies those imperfections in God. Renahan writes, the scriptures tell us that God is not man. The negation of the rational foundation for the way of negation, or rather this negation is the rational foundation of the way of negation. If the scriptures warn us against thinking equally of God and man, and if we see defects in creatures, we can deny such defects as existing in God. So negation is another way of saying God is not like, he's not like man, he does not lie, he does not sleep, right? 
third by eminence. The third way by which we know the incomprehensible God is through eminence. By way of negation, we deny creaturely imperfections in God. Eminence considers which, that which is good in creatures and attributes it to God in a supreme manner. Renahan again explains here, the way of eminence recognizes that there are virtues in creatures that one also finds in the being of God. However, the way of eminence further recognizes that these virtues belong to God originally, essentially, immutably, and perfectly. In other words, they belong to God eminently. And therefore, we speak of such divine attributes in God to distinguish them from the virtues found in man. So we can be loving, but God is love. We can show mercy, but God is mercy. Um, uh, we can, uh, in, in some sense, uh, women give, give birth. There's uh, a life that comes from their body, but God is the essence of life and the fountain of life himself. Right? So again, by way of Eminence, those things, those attributes found in creatures and God to an infinite, uh, immeasurable degree. Um, God is not loving, but love. First John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God commands that we should be holy as he is holy. First Peter 1, 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all conduct. So these three methods, causation, negation, and eminence, help us to develop our understanding and apprehension of the incomprehensible God. Negation, causation, eminence. Causation, God is the uncaused one, we are caused. Negation, denying those things uh, in God, which we see in man, we slumber, we sleep, God does not. And eminence, those things that we do see in man that are shared communicable attributes and God to an infinite, uh, unlimited degree. Okay, that's a good, good place to pause, and then we'll look at Revelation. Um, further thoughts? Did that help? <laughs> okay. What, what's your question? I, you know, I guess I, I, that was a lot of knowledge right there in five minutes, so I'm not really sure what, the, what you think about that. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, How about, okay, so how about this? I'll, how about we, we, we it'll, we'll, I'll get any other thoughts. We'll go through Revelation and then we'll talk more after. Matt, that'd be helpful? Okay. <clears throat> any other thoughts? Doesn't exemplify love. He doesn't exemplify 
holiness, but he is the definition of what is love. Right. So, right. So in a way, it's a good framework. You don't go outside and misrepresent. Yeah. God. Yeah, and even our ability to love borrows from God, who is love, and His common goodness. Men are able to love, even those who aren't Christians. They can they can love. But it's, it's, it's borrowed from God, who, who is love. Any mercy we show, any kindness we show, these are, these are borrowed um, and us being made in the likeness of God as his creatures. Um, and we are able to display those things and do those things, but it's merely, it's, it, it's, it's given, it's borrowed from God, who is the origin of, of these things. Yeah. Reading, where was this in this three categories? Yeah. You know, and, and, oh, he, he did that. He is the doer of all those things. He is the first call. Yeah. 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 That's good. <clears throat> all right. We've got a couple minutes left here. Let's, um, I'm not sure I'll get through all of this, but I'll get through as much as I can and then leave um, a couple minutes to, to talk. God is knowable not only by reason, but by revelation. God is knowable by revelation. Sammy Renahan starts this section by saying, The incomprehensible God has revealed himself to his creatures uh, definitively in the Holy Scriptures. By reason, we discern that God exists. By revelation, we know that God exists. By reason, we discern that God exists. By revelation, we know that God exists. The Belgian Confession uh, is a Reformed confession written in 1561. It was written during a time of intense confessional writing where almost 50 Reformed confessions were written over 20 years. The Belgian Confession was written uh, in Belgium by Guido de Bress to persuade a Spanish king that Protestants shouldn't be persecuted because what they believe is actually biblical. Now, Article 2 of the Belgic Confession is entitled, The Means by Which We Know God. And this is what it states. We know God by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since the universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God, God's eternal power and divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20. All these things are enough to convict humans and to leave them without excuse. Second, God makes himself known to us more clearly by his holy and divine word. As much as we need in this life for God's glory and for our salvation. So you can say that God reveals himself in two books, the book of creation, which declares the glory of God, and the book of revelation, which declares the glory of the Redeemer. Creation proclaims that God exists and leaves men without excuse. Written revelation proclaims the way of salvation and leads men to the Redeemer. Okay. The revelation that God gives us in his word even is also accommodated revelation. God is knowable by revelation. We recognize that in the Bible, God talks about himself to us on a level that we can understand. 
he gives us language. At the same time, we know that our thoughts and words about God cannot contain the incomprehensible and ineffable creator. Renahan says we are, in fact, safer in our thoughts and speech about God and the context of the scriptures because God inspired those holy writings and in them he speaks to us in accommodated revelation. God is knowable by revelation through accommodated revelation. He speaks to us in language that we can understand. He accommodates his revelation to our understanding and he does it through metaphors and figures of speech. Now let's, let me have someone read that uh, section there uh, by Calvin and the Institutes of the Christian Religion, that, that paragraph there says, from what man or for what man? Thank you. So God speaks to us like he speaks to children, and he does it through expressions and figures of speech. But we should not think that God is exactly like those expressions. Even when he gives us figures of speech and expressions, we shouldn't assume that God is like those things. Now, that's important for us to understand. And because of that, theologians have tried to use terms or use terms. These are big terms without define them. Terms like anthropopathism and anthropomorphisms. Anthropomorphism is a figure of speech by which God describes himself in the form of a man. Examples of this in scripture. Numbers 625. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Um, the Lord does not have a face, right? As, as we have a, a face eyes, nose, and a mouth. Um, Exodus 7, 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt. Uh, we know that God is spirit and doesn't have a body like men. He doesn't have hands or arms or legs or face. Deuteronomy eleven twelve, A land that the Lord your God cares for, the eyes of the Lord your God are always upon them. So this is script, this is language that the Bible itself gives us to talk about God, yet we shouldn't assume that the language that God himself gives us to talk about him fully expresses who he is or should be equated with that language itself, right? God doesn't have face, eyes, hands, mouth, ears, yet the Bible talking about God talks about his face, hands, eyes, mouth, years. <clears throat> we should not assume that these expressions or figures of speech given to us by God uh, explain um, or exactly what God is like. We should not think that God is exactly like those expressions. Okay. Those are examples of anthropomorphisms, figures of speech where God describes himself in the form of a man. Next are anthropopathisms. 
And anthropopathism is a fancy word for when God attributes non-physical human emotions and passions to God. The traditional Protestant Christian view has confessed that God is both immutable or impassable, meaning that it is impossible for him to repent or to change his mind. An example of this is Genesis 6, 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Now, we'll teach more on this in the section on impassibility in later classes. But for now, remember that anthropopathisms is attributing non-physical human emotions or passions to God. Anthropomorphisms, describing God um, with human um, language. Uh, anthropopathisms, attributing non-human emotions and passions to God. I have a little left, but I'm out of time. Um, maybe, yeah, I'm out of time. <laughs> um, so let's, so 10, 16. We'll stop there and then we'll, uh, Kyle will pick up next week.